However you access God's Word, we're going to be in Acts chapter 15 today. And I don't know about you, uh, I, I am a sucker for New Year, like whether it's new school year, turn of the calendar, 2019. There's just something about this idea of a fresh start that kind of gives you new energy, new hope, new excitement, new expectancy, all this kind of stuff. So I, I love walking into 2019 like best year ever, right? I mean, it's going to be because it's the only year we've got for right now. Like we don't get to like pull out, you know, 2012 was a great one. Let's just replay 2012. I, I wish we could kind of do that sometimes. I wish there's, you know, this probably this list of greatest hits years that you've had. And then there's probably the years that you never want to play again. You just like, let's get rid of that one and never see that one again. And, uh, but I'm, I'm a sucker for that. I love uh, new starts and fresh starts and this idea of making new commitments and things like that. And if you're a resolution maker, there are, uh, I just Googled this, uh, you know, the top 10 resolutions that people make. And uh, I just want to see, you know, is anybody on board with any of these? Number one, anybody got an idea what the number one one is? Close. Well, diet, diet, eat healthy. Two was exercise. Three was lose weight. I think that's all kind of one goal, right? I mean, I'm not sure you can do one of those without the other. Number four, save more money and spend less. Five, learn a new skill. Six, quit smoking. Seven, read more. Eight, find another job. Nine, drink less. Maybe those should be a little different order. Ten, spend more time with family and friends. And so I think as you go, you're probably like, yeah, I, maybe I could do a little bit of that this year, do a, something better this year. And as much as we may be walking this year with hope, excitement, and new dreams, I want to talk about something this morning that we're going to face no matter what new resolutions we make, no matter how great we think 2019 is going to be. As a matter of fact, as we start to put some of these resolutions, implementing them into our lives, our goals is going to cause this to happen, and it's relational conflict. Can I tell you something very clear, very honest, and very true this morning? You are going to face conflict this year, all right? If you've had a year without conflict, then please step forward and let's learn from you. Unless you just lived on an island by yourself for, for 12 months, you know your life this year, there's going to be times where you're going to rub somebody the wrong way. Somebody's going to rub you the wrong way. Some desire you have is going to push on a desire that somebody else has. Think about it for a minute. If we just take any of these resolutions and we decide to change it, let's just say we're going to change our diet. I'm going to eat healthier. But I don't tell my kids or my spouse and I just start every day, you know, serving broccoli for dinner and that's it, it's going to create some conflict in our household. They're going to be like, where's the good stuff? Where, where's, the, where's the meat? Where's this? If I decide to spend more or not spend more, uh, save more and spend less, you know, that's never caused conflict in anybody's life. That's never been an issue. Things like that, when we make changes in our life, it creates conflict, not just in our own hearts, but in others. It creates friction and friction in our desires, friction in our relationship. And we must be able to biblically and skillfully deal with conflict. And that's what Acts 15 is really all about. And today in this passage of Scripture, it deals exactly with this kind of relational conflict. Uh, this passage out of Acts 
15. Let me give you just a bit of a background. The, the book of Acts, if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, it follows the four Gospels. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it also follows them chronologically. It's basically what happens after the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So think about where we've been all of last year in this study of Mark. Like The book of Acts just basically picks up and is like, here's what happened after that. And we start to follow the story. And in this story, we start to see the spread of the story of Jesus and the gospel and the beginning of Christianity. And there is one thing that is obvious from the very beginning of the books of, book of Acts is this. Things have changed. Something is different. The norms that had been around for centuries were gone. There were new people coming in, new ideas, new desires. It was like a new year had just turned the page and everybody had new ideas. And guess what this caused? It caused an argument. It caused conflict. And it caused an argument to erupt over what new non-Jewish believers actually had to do to follow Christ. One group was arguing that they must do everything that the Jewish nation was required under the Old Testament law. And the other group was arguing that, no, they just must embrace what Christ said and, about salvation and embrace him. And there was this conflict, this pushing back and forth. And we're going to look at how they handled that today. Before we jump into that, I want you to see there are typically, though, in our lives, two types of conflict. When you think about it in your life, conflict usually arises from one of two sources. The first one is, then, is when I've been wronged or someone has wronged me or that I've wronged somebody else. So somebody has done something to me or I have done something to somebody else and I have wronged them and it's obvious and it's in need of restitution. There there are these times that are very obvious, a victim and perpetrator. You did this to me or I did this to you. And this is actually the easier type of conflict to know how to handle. doesn't mean that it's easy to handle, but we simply have to decide, am I going to forgive or seek forgiveness? Or am I going to hold on to my pride and my bitterness? I have to decide that. If I did something wrong to somebody, I have to decide, will I set my pride aside and seek forgiveness? If somebody did something wrong to me, again, will I set my bitterness and anger aside enough to extend forgiveness? And we can talk certainly about that, but it just boils down to a willingness to either let go of pride or let go of bitterness. There's actually a much more difficult type of conflict, though, that comes up in our lives. And it's the second source of conflict, and it's this. It's when we both seem to have legitimate arguments. We've looked at the same circumstances, the same facts, the same observations, and we have simply come to differing conclusions. This is by far the more difficult type of conflict because it's where compromise and resolution can be the most difficult. This is the type of conflict we're going to talk about today, and I simply want to define it like this. This conflict is when two or more people view the same issue from a different perspective. If you follow the news at all, we're living in that right now. There's going to be a wall. There's not going to be a wall. So we shut the government down. I mean, we're, in, we, you know, it's, we're looking at one thing from very, two very different perspectives. And, and it's cost us. We're at a major conflict issue right now. And, but it's not just in our government, right? It's not just at the national level. It's, it can be at the state, the local level, but much more so even at the personal level. When you and I sit in a marriage relationship with somebody and Something happens and somebody looks at it from this way, somebody looks at it from this way, and we come to different conclusions. Parent, child, friendships, this happens everywhere. 
How do we typically handle it? I think there are a few ways that we naturally, if we don't follow a biblical or skillful way of dealing with conflict, we, we typically handle it in one of these ways. The first thing we do is that we kind of cower away from it. Like we see conflict, we're like, all right, I'm out. I'm out. I just run, right? I'm like, I see conflict coming. I'm going the other way. Maybe you've had this at home and like you come in and you see you're having conflict with your wife and she's in this room. And so what do you do? You go to the other room. Or you have somebody at work you're having conflict with and you see them coming down the hall and you duck into the bathroom. You just run from it. You get away from it. We cower from it. The other thing we try to do is, is we, we start to argue. We start trying to convince people while they're wrong and I'm right. And we just have these arguments and these debates, right? This is me. I'm a debater. I'm an art. I, I lettered in debate in high school. I was that nerdy. I mean, that was me. I, I, I was like state champion. I was really good at debating. And that is what I do. But Katie is like, Katie is like more of like a shut down person. So I'm not trying. I was like, why don't you want to argue? Come on. Come on. She's like, nope. She's going the other way. So like, I try to just convince. I'm like, there's a logical explanation to this. She goes, I don't agree with your logic. And I'm like, all right, that's your problem. It's not mine. So that never goes well. Uh, Because then that leads to the third thing we do. We try to condescend. We try to make the other person feel dumb or less than we are. We push them down. Instead of trying to deal with it, we push them down. We make it condescending, making, we start attacking the other person. Or what we do, try to do, the last thing we try to do is we try to get leverage so we can coerce the other person into coming our way. Well, you know, remember when I did this for you? Remember how much you did that for me? And we start trying to coerce them and move them in our direction. Now, all of those, they work for a season. They have a, maybe a little benefit to them. Maybe you've learned to be very adept at coercing people or cowering and running from conflict. And you're like, I, I'm, I'm handling it. Can I tell you, you're actually not handling it. You're just getting through it without actually handling it and growing from it. Conflict in our life is not designed just to get through. It's actually used to strengthen us and to grow us. And so how does Scripture teach us to handle conflict? Because God does not call us to avoid conflict or to defeat other people, but instead to handle it in such a way that brings peace instead of bitterness and animosity. And so we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 15, and read what's happening here out of that background that we told you about and see how they handled it. So look at this, verses 1 and 2. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with the other believers to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. So quickly understand, there are people coming down, they came into a new area where there are a lot of new believers, and they were saying, guys, we're so excited you're new believers, even though you're not Jewish, guess what? Now you not only have to become Christian, you have to become Jewish. You have to do everything the Jewish people did before. And they started listing all these requirements. And so they were like, no, that doesn't sound right. And there was this argument, and I love the last part there. It says they went to the elders and the apostles about this question. The first way to biblically handle conflict is to identify the issue. Identify the issue. What is the actual issue that we're talking about? The beginning of resolution of any conflict is the clear identification of what the issue is. We can often begin our argument over one issue and let it morph into a thousand different things. 
I mean, how many times has we, we've had this argument before where sitting here worried about, you know, what did we spend here, what, talking about finances, and then all of a sudden we're arguing about where we spend holidays with our parents. I'm like, how did, how did we get here? And it's this morphed thing, and now we're battling on ten fronts instead of dealing with the issue that was really at hand. They went to go talk about that issue. So I want to challenge you, if, if you're arguing about different things, guess what? You will never come to resolution. If some, this person's still arguing this issue and this person's arguing a completely different issue, you will not have resolution. One of the most important tactics in dealing with conflict is staying focused on what brought the conflict at this moment and in these circumstances. It doesn't mean that there aren't other issues, right? There certainly are. It just means let's deal with them one at a time, just one at a time. As difficult as it is to deal with one area of conflict between people, the idea of trying to deal with two, three, or 20 different areas of conflict is overwhelming and destructive. Deal with the one issue. Keep it clear. Keep it clean. Stay inside the ring. Like you have that. We're going to fight. We're going to argue. We're going to deal with this issue, but we're going to keep it in these boundaries. I think I've told you some of this before. I, growing up in the South, one of the things sometimes you would watch on TV was professional wrestling. And those two words are kind of oxymoronic, professional and wrestling. I'm not sure they actually go together. But, you know, when they would stay in the ring, there was always these crazy things. But it really got crazy when they got outside the ring. And they started grabbing chairs and tables and wrenches and whatever else they could find. Like, that's when it got entertaining and excited when they got outside. You never knew what was going to happen. Who anything, anything went outside the ring. But inside the ring, there were certain rules they had to follow. And I think when we argue, we've got to choose to stay inside the ring, this issue. We're going to talk about this issue. We're not going to go out and start grabbing this from the past, that from the present, or what could be, or how I feel about it. We're going to deal with this and stay focused on issue. Clarify the topic of the argument and stay committed to the boundaries. The second thing they did, we're going to find in verse 3 and 4, and it says this. Then the church sent them on their way, And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Do you see what they did here? On their way, we don't find them bad-mouthing the other people that they disagreed with. We didn't see them just gossiping about one another, creating more tension. You know what they talked about? They talked about the good things they had in common. They talked about the good things that God was doing. And that step two is find common ground. Find common ground. One of the primary ways to begin moving toward resolution is to find the last thing you agreed on. If you're a husband and wife, you can hopefully at least get back to the fact that we love each other and we want this relationship to survive. With kids, you want the best for your kids. You can get back to that. Even with a friendship, I'm going to believe the best about you. You can get back to something where you have some common ground. And this common ground may be a ways back. It may be a couple years ago, maybe a couple miles back, but you got to find common ground. Like this, I remember, and PJ and Natalie know about this, one of the things Katie and I love about New York is we don't have to drive. Because our number one source of conflict in our marriage was my driving. All right? I drove a certain way. I felt safe driving that way. Katie had a certain way that she liked to drive, and she didn't like the way I drove. And when I was driving, she was very vocal about what she did not like about how I drove. And it was this sort of, like, it, we'd be having a great time in the car. 
like two miles back, it was great. And then something happened and like all hell broke loose in the car. I mean, it was like, ah, and I was, I, you, one time I like stopped. I just got out of the, I stopped the car. I'm like, I'm done driving. You can have it. I am done. I will get in the passenger side from here on out. I am done. But it was like, what was it that just a couple miles back on the road, we were all having fun in the car together and now it's horrible. And we have to sometimes in our relationships back the car up and say, you know, what, what was it where we had common ground? Where can we start from and begin to find where we diverge? The simplest thing to do is to argue with each other and try to convince the other person to see things the way you do. But the truth is they are looking at it from a total different point of view. The harder thing is this, is to admit that you may not know the whole picture. You may not see everything. You may not understand that person and why they're coming at this the way that you are. There's an old parable of, you know, these 10 blind men who went up and felt an elephant. And they were to describe the elephant to each other. And some of the, one of them grabbed the trunk and they described it as what felt like a snake. The other grabbed the legs and described it as something that felt like a tree trunk. And another grabbed the tail and the tusk. And they were all talking about different things. And they would even begin to argue with each other and call each other a liar and have bitterness because they were only getting a piece of the picture. Instead of understanding that there is a larger truth that I may not even have the full grasp of. And that's part of understanding that we've got to get back to a commonality, that there is something that we can connect with, something that's bigger than both of us, a truth that's bigger than both of us that we can hold on to. Would you admit that you don't understand the issue the same way that the other person does? Talk about getting past conflict. That's one of the things you can verbalize very quickly that will help begin that. It says, look, I, I don't see this the way you do, but I want to. And then you'll start to find common ground together. The third thing we'll find is in verse 5 and 6, and it says this. It says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the, apostles, uh, the, the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. All right, so the argument is back in. And then it says, The apostles and elders met to consider this question. Think about it for a minute, what they could have done and what we often do. Somebody says, I disagree with you. I don't like what you're saying. What's your natural tendency? They get defensive, right? All right, you want to fight? Let's fight. I mean, we, we, start, we start that mental, how am I going to respond to you? And we, we start, ready, I'm, gonna, I'm ready to jab you. You're going to jab me. And we start that. Here's what they did. They did not attack the person. They attacked the issue. They dealt, it says they met to consider this question. The easy thing to do is start to attack the other person instead of the issue. This is our default mode. We start using words that hurt them. We start bringing up past events that discourage them. And we start withholding love and respect to try and damage them. Attacking the other never brings peace. It creates more animosity and more conflict. And we must work as a team to attack the issue. Keep the source of the conflict in the middle of the ring and attack it, not each other. It isn't that you can't express your hurts and your pains. You have every freedom to do that. But the goal is this. The goal is to help the other person understand those hurts and pains without having to multiply them onto that person. And that's a hard thing to do. One of the best tactics we have in fighting and arguing when we have conflict is this mentality which we think is right. I'm feeling pain, and I want you to feel the same pain I do. Can I tell you something? When we put pain on somebody, when we try to put our pain on somebody else, 
Can I tell you what's not happening? They don't experience it the same way you do. It's impossible. They're a different person. And you may be wanting them to. You may be, and what you're really wanting is empathy, right? You're wanting somebody to feel with you. And so invite them into that versus trying to hurt them and make them feel it so then they identify it with you. That's the easiest way to do it. It isn't that you can't, again, express your hurts and pains. Just don't multiply. Be honest about your pain without being dishonoring. Be honest without being dishonoring. You want to take a step forward? You want to become better at handling conflict? Learn to express honestly what you're feeling without dishonoring and multiplying that pain onto the other person. Your goal isn't to destroy the other person. It's to deal deliberately with the source of conflict and then go stronger because of it. The fourth thing we find here uh, is in verse 7 through 11. So they're having these meetings and everybody's voicing their opinion. And then this giant of the faith basically at this point stands up and he speaks wisdom and it's Peter. And it says, after much discussion, all right, so they're going round and round and round. Peter got up and addressed them. He says, brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles must hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, but he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. This is a powerful speech from Peter. I mean, this is a whole sermon series right here, understanding the grace of God. But this is a man in the midst of conflict, when it seemed like sides were almost could not find common ground, stood up and said, let me bring some wisdom to this circumstance. And you know, this is the fourth step you and I have to do sometimes. We have to be able to seek wisdom. Seek authority and wisdom. Go after wisdom. Sometimes we can't solve this ourselves. Sometimes you're going to be in a conflict with a coworker, a spouse, a friend, child, whatever relationship that you can't solve. It's beyond the wisdom that you hold. But guess what? It is not beyond the wisdom of other people. Sometimes we cannot find common ground because we have clouded judgments. I mean, our judgments are just clouded. We're not thinking rationally. Sometimes we can't find common ground because we have biased perspectives. I have a perspective that I'm coming from based on a history that I have, and you have a perspective you're coming on based on a history you have, and we just can't find common ground. We can't find common ground sometimes because of personal agendas, because of what I'm trying to accomplish and what you're trying to accomplish are butting heads, and we can't get past that. Sometimes we can't find common ground because of historical experiences, things that we have no control over, things that have happened in our personal histories or our nation or world histories that are driving this conflict. And guess what? This is when we need an outside source of wisdom to come into the conflict. Sometimes this conflict cannot be resolved by just having another conversation or another argument. It is going to take someone with more wisdom, more experience, more understanding than either of us possess. And this is the beauty of living in a community like this, a family of faith. Our congregation is littered with people with more wisdom on certain experiences than you are. 
And here's what I want to challenge you to do. Don't hide your conflicts, but invite people into them when you need wisdom. Don't hide, but invite. Now, this shouldn't be done individually, though. It's not like you leave the conflict, and you're like, I'm going to go get my team of people over here so that when I show back up, like, you know, we're going to ambush this person. That's not how you do this. You're like, all right, I'm, you know, I'm just going to go get my posse and overwhelm this person. It's not what you do. Instead, you go together and you say, look, we want to get past this, but we need help to do it. And you invite somebody in. Be willing to ask for help and make room for wisdom. The last thing we find is in verse 12 to 21. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to read a piece of it so we see where they ended up. And it says this, Then the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up and he said, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God intervened and chose the people for his name from the Gentiles. And then he goes back and talks. There's an Old Testament piece that he brings in and we'll skip down to 19. And he said, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to do these things. Abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual idolatry, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses had been preached in every city from the earliest times, and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. I love what they did here. They came up with a plan of resolution, an action plan. I mean, James was like, James is kind of the leader of this council. And after Peter spoke, he's like, all right, guys, debate's over. We need to resolve this. What's our plan moving forward? And he came up with four things. Don't eat this kind of food and stay away from sexual immorality. That's it. Like, there was this book of the law of Moses. These five, I mean, it would take like three people sometimes to carry the big tablets out to read from the law of Moses. And he's like, all right, we understand that played a piece, but right now, to follow Christ, just be careful of these four practices. Accept the grace of Christ and walk in freedom. It's a beautiful, but it's a plan of action. He's like, let's send this back to them. And if you continue reading, it says the people got that letter and they rejoiced. They were excited. Like, great, we have clarity. We have a plan of action. The end of conflict is not when you and I finally both get tired of arguing and just decide to talk about something else or avoid each other completely. The end of conflict comes when resolution And resolution is a plan to move forward, not staying where you are and not moving backwards. The thing is to do this, is to ask ourselves, what's going to change? How are we going to move forward? Now, I want to be honest here. All resolution is not joyful, excitement, and harmonious. It's not. But there can always be healing. It's not going to always go back to what it was. But it doesn't always have to remain painful. Certain types of conflict will have long-lasting impacts on you and the relationship, but they don't always have to be hurtful for the rest of your life. Sometimes the healthiest resolution is ending a relationship or limiting a relationship, but even that doesn't have to be done in a painful way that rips apart the dignity and the respect of those that used to love and are engaged with one another. The truth is this. Resolution doesn't mean that you're going to agree on everything. But you can agree in such a way that resolution can be experienced instead of continued attacks and arguments. Healing can come. 
and they may come in many different ways. I have a good friend, a guy that I've known for years, a church that I used to work at. He worked on uh, my team there and was a part of our staff team, and we became really tight friends, one of my closest friends. I moved away, and uh, when, when I moved away, some things really began to fall apart uh, in his life. It wasn't because I moved away. It just situationally some things happened. And uh, as I moved, it just, and so we, we ended up being back in the same town together, and uh, he asked if he could come stay at our place for a while, and so we invited him into our home, and he came and stayed with us, and it just went downhill very quickly. I mean, things relationally, uh, just it, it got, the conflict got to a point that I knew at a point I had to sit him down and say, your days here are over. You can no longer be here, and for this season, we cannot be together. But I tried to do it in a way that pushed him in a positive direction, protected our family, but also left an opportunity for reconciliation, not knowing if that would ever come. I knew that conversation may be the last conversation I ever had with him. But even in that last conversation, what I wanted to do was nudge him as much as I could toward healing and nudge ourselves toward healing instead of creating more damage on the way out. Well, it took about three years, but after about three years, uh, we had a reconciliation. And I'm so excited to say he's uh, doing an amazing job. He's a college pastor down in Orlando right now. He's got a, a family, a vibrant ministry, and he's doing phenomenal. We get to visit with each other a couple times a year. But this was not something that just one conversation fixed. It was difficult. It was challenging. It was one of the most difficult things I've had to do in my life to somebody that I deeply, deeply loved. But yet I knew it was, it was what was needed, but it had to be done in still a healthy and healing way that left at least the door open for reconciliation. doesn't mean that it would happen, but the door was open. And if we don't do this, conflict will lead us down one of two paths. It will either destroy us or strengthen us. Conflict will either destroy you or strengthen you. If at the end of conflict all bitterness is not gone, it will take root and it will kill the relationship. I want you to understand, in conflict there should not be winners and losers. There should not be a score that is kept. At the end of conflict, we should have won. At the end of conflict, we should have changed. We should have compromised. We should have survived and are moving ahead in our life. Every conflict has a resolution, even though it may not have a fairy tale ending. It has a resolution. So my question for you today is this. Would you choose to stop arguing over issues and instead choose to start resolving conflicts? It's two very different things. Choose to stop arguing over issues and choose to start resolving conflicts. Can I tell you the truth? Nobody really ever wins an argument. Everybody thinks they do. Nobody wins. But everyone can win when we decide, decide to resolve conflict. And as much as we've talked about this between us, this is what God also modeled between us and him. He resolved conflict, the conflict that our sin brings to him. Would you consider the fact that whatever argument you have with God, he isn't interested in arguing and debating with you, but he is passionate about resolving any conflict that is between you and him that moves toward 
healing. We bow your head and close your eyes with me as we close in prayer. Father, we're so grateful that there's passages of scripture like this that give us clear teachings, a clear example of how to handle things that are going to be present in our life on a regular basis this year. God, would you allow us to hold on to these truths, to, to set aside our natural tendencies and the things that have been ingrained us, to, to win arguments, to, to hurt others, to make ourselves feel better. And would you let us pick up the tools of resolving conflict, of bringing healing and peace, of finding resolution to move forward in our lives. God, we need your strength and your wisdom to do that. Help us to live out of this the way this example showed us. And let us as a church and a people, even as we may experience conflict within our own families and our own faith family and our own individuals here, that we can pursue resolution versus winning an argument. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.